The Gospel According to Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the paws that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In a ministry that defined the world, this teaching is among the most powerful, the most prophetic, and the most prolific. And it goes by a number of names. If we look in our Bibles, some of our Bibles will call it the parable of the two sons. And certainly, as we'll see throughout the course of this series, we'll learn from both sons. Some Bibles call it the story of the lost son. It's fitting because it comes at the end of a chapter about things that are lost being found. There was a lost coin and a woman who refused to stop searching until she found her treasure. There was the story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but one had gone away. The shepherd left behind the 99 to go in search of the one who had been lost. What a beautiful image of God 
that God would go in search of the one who was isolated and alone and oppressed. It's instructive for us that God would do so because we too are called to do so. But my favorite title for this parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And prodigal doesn't mean what I think most people believe it means. At least, it doesn't mean what I grew up thinking it means. I grew up thinking the word prodigal meant sinful, but it doesn't. The word prodigal means to be extravagantly wasteful. That's what the younger son was in the story. He was extravagantly wasteful with everything that he had been given. But if we look closer, we will see that all three characters in the story shared a degree of extravagance. That's part of the power of this parable and of this series in which we will see pain and redemption, suffering, And great hope. Today, we'll spend some time with the younger son. And in two weeks, we'll explore with the older son. Next Sunday on Father's Day, we'll see a father of tremendous love from this story. And throughout this series, we'll ask one question. Who is more extravagant? The son who wastes one fortune, or the father who gives him two. Jesus tells us that there was a man who had two sons, and that the younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So the father divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, traveled to a distant country, and there squandered his property in dissolute living. What would cause the younger son to do this? Where did it go off the rails for this young man? Maybe it began with a misunderstanding. Maybe it began with a prodigal son believing that he was entitled to what actually belonged to the father. Because the father wasn't gone yet. These were the father's things freely given from the father to the son. Out of his graciousness, the father gifts the son with so much. And what does the son do? He squandered them. He wasted those gifts. Why would he do that in part? Because... He forgot everything that he had was a gift from the Father, and I wonder, sometimes, do I? Do we? Do we forget that the very breath inside of us is a gift from God, that each moment is a gift from God, each opportunity, each brand new morning, a gift from God? You see, when we forget that, We are in danger of becoming extravagantly wasteful with what God has shared with us. That's the first sin. 
the son forgot who gave him all of his gifts. And here's the second. Once the gifts had been bestowed, the prodigal son decided to leave his father. He went away. He went away. And he wasted extravagantly. We would have to imagine that if the son had stayed close to the presence of the father, that he would not have wasted the way that he did. The problem is not to accept gifts from God. Of course we all do. The problem is when we accept gifts from God and instead of using them in ways that God would intend, we run away from the Father and from His purpose. And all of this prepares us for a pressing question of the moment. The real question that's posed by the life of the younger son is simply this. Where am I being wasteful? Particularly, have I been wasteful with the very heart of God's gift to me? What is God's greatest gift to us? How do we fundamentally understand the salvation that God has given? For some of us, this is going to be review because a couple of years ago, we talked about the powerful narrative of the Exodus the great story of freedom in the Old Testament. On the night that God freed God's people in the Exodus, the people participated in a festival, a feast. It became known as the Passover. And it was a celebration of their liberation, of their being set free by God. And if we fast forward over a thousand years, on the night that Jesus Christ was preparing to give himself up for the world, he too was celebrating a festival, the Passover. I have a friend named Jason Michelli. He wrote a book called Preaching a Better Atonement. And in that book, he says that so often we believe that the primary work of Christ was simply to forgive our sin. But if that were the case, the death and resurrection of Jesus would have taken place on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement for sin. It doesn't. It takes place on the Passover. What does that tell us? Friends, it tells us that above and beyond anything else, Jesus Christ came to this world to set us free. It's a story of liberation. To set us free from sin, yes. Death, absolutely. But that's not all. Christ also came to give us freedom from bondage and from oppression. You see, the heart of the gospel emerges from a place of liberation and freedom And if I understand the gospel well, then I must ask myself, how am I being set free? But not only that, how am I helping to set others free? There is so much floating around in our society right now, polarization at unprecedented levels. So, let's go back to the most basic thing. in the light of God's monumental work of freedom. Who are we to be? And certainly, 
We must be a people who stand up and say racism is a sin. We must be a people who search for ways to help end it. You see, to fail to work for freedom, full humanity, when that's exactly what we have been given by God, to fail to work for that would be extravagantly wasteful. So how do we do this? How how do we do this? How do we help move ourselves and our, our families and our world away from the sin of racism? Well, there are as many ways to stand for racial reconciliation and healing and justice as there are people in the world. We can make phone calls. We can write letters. We can get involved with feeding ministries and tutoring. We can stand for just policies and just procedures. We can look within ourselves and take honest inventory. We can name racism when we see it. And I think one of the most important things that we can do in this moment is choose to hear voices that perhaps we've not heard or heard clearly before. It isn't always comfortable. But in this season, it is incredibly important to hear voices we have not often heard before. To that end, I worked with our team to put together a list of resources that can be found on our website. Some of them are books. Some of them are just highlights of studies available in Right Now Media for personal or small group study. Some of them are resources from the Global Leadership Network. Some of the resources are going to make us uncomfortable, perhaps. There will be some of the things that we find eye-opening and educational as we read and study. And there may be some things that we read in there and after true consideration decide, I don't necessarily agree with that. And that's okay. The point isn't to agree with everything. The point is to hear a new perspective. In all of my life, I can't remember a time that I've read a book or led a Bible study written by someone else in which I agreed with everything that was there. The point is to hear, though. Because when we understand, when we are changed and mobilized, the gates of hell and injustice, they do not stand a chance against the transformed and mobilized church of Jesus Christ. We're standing up a team here at Ebenezer to create space for this kind of listening and to facilitate education and to offer insights for real steps that we can take to become more intentional, radically hospitable for all, but especially for people of color. The group will recommend ways that we can take real, lasting steps to impact our community and work against racial injustice. There's still time to sign up for that by going to ebenezerumc.org slash highlights.
I can't remember in my life if I've experienced a more difficult time within our culture. Nor can I recall a time where I have seen greater opportunity for positive change. You know, one of the things Pastor Monica said last week was that there's no shame in this game. And part of what I think that means is that one of the reasons that conversations around racial injustice can be uncomfortable is because as a white person, I can expect to be made to feel guilty in those conversations. But conversations about racial reconciliation, they aren't about guilt. No shame in the game, as Pastor Monica said last week. We inherited a system with honest to God injustices, church. The only shame would be to pass it on, to fail to do what we can to understand and foster change. Church, that, that would be extravagantly wasteful. This brings me to a second thought about the prodigious nature of what we can waste sometimes. This one is also very real in this moment. Our relationships and the words we use in the midst of relationships. Now, I'm still learning. I don't certainly understand the fullness of racial challenge. I I don't know what it's like to be anything other than what I am and who I am. I'm still learning, but in recent weeks, I've seen some things that have broken my heart. And so many are outraged and should be. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, by the way. He says, be angry, but do not sin. I've seen people become extravagantly wasteful with relationships and words in recent weeks. My best friend from college was a guy named Cody. He was a political science major. I was in the Department of Religion and Philosophy. We had a lot of great conversations. And I remember one time that Cody shared with me an idea he was learning about in one of his classes, something called the wedge issue. The wedge issue is a tactic often used in political campaigns to insert wedges, create division. And it's a tactic used by people on all sides. It divides. My guess is we've probably seen this happen. And one of the divisions, what I perceive to be a false division in recent weeks, has been the notion that I have to choose whether I will stand against racism or stand with law enforcement. That strikes me as a false divide. There are numerous examples of the abuse of power and systemic racism. And when abuse of power occurs, it should be swiftly and fully addressed. And at the same time, it is true that the majority of law enforcement officers acquit their duties honorably and are disgusted by those who don't. 
This can't be an either or. It can't be our either or. So then what does a faithful stand look like in this moment? How about this? I am for people being honored as made in God's image. And against any time their God-given freedom is unjustly infringed upon, especially because of their race. I'm for zero tolerance when it comes to the abuse of power and violence and in favor of those who take a stand for what they believe and who acquit their duties with honor. There should be outrage. There should be outrage. And there should be action. Well, we are wasting this moment. But when we use our words to bring division, that too is wasteful. I'm praying for unity, church, and I hope you will join me. But our prayer cannot be for a false unity in which one group must remain quiet. For that would be wasteful. Diversity is a gift. The dream must be of a world in which our ideas and our beliefs are shared in desperate love for the other. In order to bring about transformation and edification of one another. As God's people, we must see a world in which hate and violence give way to hearing and learning and transformation. That is how we move forward. Which squarely, squarely brings us to the question of hope. Where is the hope? If we go back to our story, you know what we see? We see the fathers waiting. Everything that went wrong when the prodigal left the father's side was made right when the prodigal came home. Have there been ways we have left the father's side? Ways we have misused the gifts God has shared? It is wasteful, extravagantly wasteful to miss the opportunity to help our brothers and sisters of color have a voice that is heard to miss an opportunity to bring real and lasting change. It's wasteful to choose division when God over and over again calls us to true relationship and a just unity. Hope is found in returning to the Father. In using our gifts as God would intend to bring true liberation. In the story, the son came home. He came home with humility, ready to serve. He came back to community. He came back to relationship. And I've started to see hope. Let me be clear about that. Hope is not everything calming down again. 
It is in seeing the injustice and choosing to overcome it rather than be overcome by it. I see hope in all of you. I made a lot of phone calls this week. I heard people in our congregation expressing sadness, outrage, confusion, exhaustion. I also heard them say that they were growing, that we're listening. Listening to voices perhaps we'd never heard before. Anything else would be extravagantly wasteful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the great story of freedom in the world. The story of Jesus Christ, who came to liberate us, to set us free from sin and death and fear. He came to set us free from injustice and tyranny. And Holy God, you have placed the call upon our lives. You've placed the call upon our lives to stand, to listen, to build up relationship, not tear it down. Yes, you have called us, O God. Lord, when we are tired, give us strength. When we are afraid, melt away our fears. When we are desperate, give us hope. Help us always to remember that nothing, nothing that went wrong when the son left was unable to be made right when he came back home again. Holy God, we pray for our entire world today those who are hurting, those who are mistrustful, those who are struggling, those who are wrestling, those who are angry. And we ask that you would help us be your light, your hands, your feet. You would help us be your people. We pray these things in the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.